Well, it's great to see you again. Thanks for being with us live at Grace Community Church. We're so glad to be with you. Wow, great weekend this weekend. I mean, yesterday the sun was out. It was great. The clouds parted. The sun came out. The, the veil lifted. I mean, it was just fantastic day. And we can see that our days of isolation are hopefully numbered. So we'll see how that happens. And we'll be I'll, I'll be talking to you about that uh, maybe next week, about a plan for moving forward and how that's all going to shake out. So exciting stuff. Hope you're having an encouraging week, but we're glad you're with us this morning. Uh, one other thing, Jess talked about that drive-by video, church, take me back. And if you haven't seen that, you got to go to ohiograce.com. It's right at the top of the page. Just click that. You can watch it. And then also there's a link for you to sign up if you want to be a part of the next one. It's also on my personal Facebook page. We would love for you to see that. Click the link at the bottom of the video and sign yourself up to be part of this. We had a great time doing it. Every time I watch it, it makes me smile, brings joy to my heart. Love grace. Love our church. We're in a series, third week, called Isolated But Not Alone. And I'm going to pick it up sort of where Tim left off last week in Philippians chapter 2. He stopped at verse 8. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. But before I do that, I just want you to notice something because we talk about this occasionally. I want you to notice as we read the next two verses, if you've been around grace for a while, there's this issue that keeps coming up through Scripture about the free will that we have as human beings and God's sovereignty or control over all things and that there's a tension between that that theologians argue about all the time. But I want you to notice that pop out in this verse. It's not the main topic, just something I want you to see. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. It says this. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. So the whole point of this is work out your salvation with fear and trembling just means with, with this awesome reverential respect that we should have for God. Work out your salvation. And what's he mean by that? Well, we know it ties in to obedience because that's the context earlier in the verse that he's talking about. But, but what does exactly work out your salvation mean? Because when we hear that, it, it sounds a little different because we know we're saved by grace, the grace of God. And so that sounds a little different. We need to really dive in a little deeper. And people view this different ways. For example, and if you'll notice, there's a different way of reading it if you just stop at verse 12 or continue on to verse 13. Because people who emphasize verse 13, then, you know, they say, um, hey, let go and let God. We don't do anything. It's God who wills for us. It's God who works in us. So just let go and let God. But a slogan like that is really not what Paul's saying because that reflects a passivism that's really absent from Paul's theology as he calls us to persistent obedience. On the other hand, other people will focus on verse 12, work out your salvation and they, they sort of see that with an activism, and they'll have a slogan like, um, uh, what, what is that slogan that they would say? Yeah, God helps those who help themselves. Like, it's kind of like all us. And they're really talking about an activism 
that says, hey, you go out and do it, and once in a while you'll need a little boost from God to get the job done. Paul is not saying that either. It's not legalism. I'm going to work for my salvation. And it's not passivism, which is God saved me, and I don't even have to contribute or work within my salvation. Both of those are wrong. If you're a theological type, it's not Arminianism nor hyper-Calvinism. Both of those are too simplistic. So what does he mean? Work out your salvation. Is he saying, hey, make sure that you're a Christian? I mean, that's what Paul says, something like that in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're of the faith or do we want to prove it? You know, what is that saying here? What's, what does work out your salvation mean? Well, we know that God works in our salvation. He draws us. He makes it possible. He quickens our heart. He draws us to himself. He helps us to see. He gives us the strength, the wisdom to cross the line, both in our will, our want to to do that, and our actually doing it. But it doesn't actually stop there. I'll give you an example. Um, earlier this week, I was talking to a young man in my office. And this is, uh, he's a young man, great guy. He works all the time, several jobs, just works, 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 works. And he works so much, and he does that intentionally thinking, working more now, maybe less later, and uh, just working. Well, that's caused a couple of issues in his life, and so we're kind of talking through those. And we talked about many things. We had a great conversation. But one of the things that I cautioned him, warned him about, was the issue of pride. You know, that pride can be uh, an issue because... Even, for example, if, you're, if you know that you work harder than anyone around you, let's say that's you. Well, you got to remember, it's God who gave you the health to work. It's God that gave you the ability to do that work. It's God that gave you the opportunity to do that. It's God that even gave you the will to want to do it. It's God that put that drive into you. And so when we realize that, we have no reason to boast in that in and of ourselves. It's all grace. It's grace from God. It's, it's a gift that he has given us. But we are not passive we, we don't just let life fall out where we don't do anything. We have a role to play. And so if it's God who gives us the will to even follow him and the strength to do it, we get that. But we have a responsibility to, as Paul said, work out our salvation in our lives. So the question is this, how? How do we Work out salvation with fear and trembling in our lives. How do we work out salvation? And Paul answers that question in Philippians 2, 12 to 18. And here's what he's going to tell us to do. He says, you, we work out salvation by living out, shining out, and holding out. We work out our salvation when we live out, shine out, and hold out. And so that's, that's just what... What you need to know, and I want to talk about live out first. As, as believers, we should be different. And we need to make sure that our Christianity shows up in our life. That we should be living it. Now, and what Paul does here is immediately he touches on 
in the next verse, the issues that will keep us from living out our Christianity. And we see that in verse 14 where he says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, the word grumbling, we'll talk about that first. That just equals complaining. It's more than just complaining. It's, it's complaining, we have to remember, is an outpouring of an attitude that's in our heart. And we all need to remember this. Stop your whining. Stop your complaining. I, I know for the last several decades, uh, we have a three children grew up in our home. And, and Pam had this magnet on our refrigerator, just right smack on the front, that had this verse on it. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I mean, and there it was. And, and here's the crazy thing. Now, our kids, a few years ago, they all left. And so now it's just Pam and I, and the magnet's still there. Now, I'm sure when she put that on there, that was for the kids' benefit, right? No doubt. I, I'm sure that was for the kids. But now they're gone, and it's still there. Weird. I, I just can't believe she's already targeting our grandkids because they don't even know how, how to read yet. Grumbling, complaining in the Bible is uh, something that comes up a lot. And people in Philippi that Paul was originally writing to, when they heard this word grumbling, it would immediately remind them of something that happened over and over and over in the history of Israel, and it was during the wilderness wanderings. And let me set the context for you if you don't know that much uh, about when that happened in history. God calls this man Abraham to make a people and calls him to go to Canaan. He goes, then he has a son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and the family's expanding. The 12 sons, the 11 don't like, or 10 of them don't like one of them named Joseph, and they're jealous of him. They end up selling him into slavery, and he's taken to Egypt. While he's in Egypt, God works it out where he becomes prominent. He's actually second only to Pharaoh. And that's all about a famine that strikes. Well, the famine strikes the whole region. That affects Joseph's family back in Canaan. They need help. They end up uh, going to Egypt to buy grain. The whole thing happens. But what happens there is, is Joseph ends up bringing his whole family to Egypt. And he has a place for them and takes care of them and everything's good. But eventually, Pharaoh dies. Joseph dies. There's a new generation that takes over. And they're like, who are all these foreigners living amongst us? And they enslave the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And this, these people keep growing and growing. For 400 years, the Egyptians enslave Israel. Then God raises up a leader named Moses. Moses comes, delivers them. We've seen the movie, crosses the Red Sea. They go in the wilderness, but they're on their way to that promised land that God promised Abraham. But rather than go straight there, they end up spending 40 years wandering around the wilderness as really a punishment for complaining. And it happens over and over again. I'll give you one example in Exodus 14 Here's just a snapshot of, of one, one time. Then the people, then the people said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? 
Is this not the word we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, so that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Do you hear what they're saying? They're saying, hey, we loved it when we were slaves. Being a slave was way better than now. What have you done to us? Why have you freed us? We're just going to perish here in the desert. And then here's how Moses responds to them a couple chapters later in Exodus 16, verse 8. He says, and he says to the people, and what are we? He's talking about the leadership. What are we? Who are we? He's saying, your grumblings are not against us but against God. And we see this word over and over and over. Your grumblings are not against us. Hey, who you're complaining about is God. And so here you have this example where God is physically leading them through the wilderness. He's feeding them every day. He's directing them every single day. And all they do is complain. We don't have water. We don't have food. We don't like this food. We're tired of this food. On and on it goes, complaining, complaining, complaining. One time... It got so bad. And during all this, God is punishing them over and over. One time it got so bad in Numbers 11 that God allowed fire to consume some of the people. And what's the whole point of this for these whole 40 years? Wait, one, one thing you get from that? God hates complaining. God hates grumbling about all the things in our life. God hates grumbling. And that should give pause to all of us, because we're kind of wired up. A lot of us are kind of wired up that way. Our culture is, is wired up that way. Now, as far as you and I are concerned, I'm sure none of you have been complaining about the stay-at-home order, right? And some of you are out there going, yeah, Kevin, I never complained about that. Yeah, and I'm sure that you, who didn't complain about that, didn't complain about other people who just refused to go along with the stay-at-home order and did whatever they wanted. We complain about people all the time. We complain about wearing masks. We complain about not wearing masks. We complain about having the wrong kind of mask. We complain about other people wearing the wrong kind of mask. And on and on it goes. We complain about not being able to work. We complain if we're one of the ones that still have to work. We complain that the, of the people who aren't working. And those people, you know, we just complain, complain, complain in all different situations. It's all about how it affects me and, and what bothers you about that. We complain about our marriages, our finances, our jobs, our relationships, our friends. We even complain about our church sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't not try to make any big point here. I, I think our church is incredibly unified, and we've seen that even in this awkward time that we're experiencing right now. But you know, there's going to be a time. We have a unified church, but let me tell you what will test that. is In the next few weeks, I'm going to say, hey, it's time to go back to church. You know, and we'll map that out and give everybody warning and, and plan that all out. But no matter when that date is, some of you are not going to like it. Some people in our church, just they're not going to like it. I know we won't please everyone. I know some people criticize no matter what we do. And that's okay. I can handle criticize. Hey, like I say. If you haven't been criticized lately, you're not doing enough. But we'll work that all through. But here's what I want you to notice. When it comes to criticizing the church, that's exactly what Paul's drilling down. When he says complaining, 
the context here includes the church because he's just been talking about church unity. That's what Tim was talking to us about last week at the very beginning of Philippians 2. He's talking about unity, unity in the church, which we have. And he's saying, especially don't complain to mess that up. But it's not just complaining. The other word there was disputing. Disputing is really, uh, it's, it's arguing. It's really more than that. It's like an internal conflict. It's the internal reasoning that we use intellectually to justify sort of the emotional complaining that we do. It's how we reason, our, wow, I don't deserve this. Well, this shouldn't really be this way. Here's why I'm really justified. In it's that. Because both complaining and the disputing, this internal rationale, it's just an outflowing emotionally and intellectually. It's an outflowing of what's in our heart. And that's what God doesn't like. That's what God is telling us that we need to get rid of. It's a complaining spirit within our heart. And, and here's why. Because joy is impossible. The joy we should have as a believer, it's impossible when we're complaining and arguing and justifying it in our minds. And so, but here's the key. Notice the emphasis. It's not just don't com complain, don't, don't rationalize it. He's saying don't do, ever do this. It's all things. Do all things. Do everything without complaint uh, or rationalizing our complaint. Not some things. We could all do some things. We could all do some things without complaint. He's saying all things. You know, Paul in another place said, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you may do, do all to the glory of God. Same thing here. We should do all without complaining. But the question is why? Why specifically is Paul saying that we need to live out our Christianity without complaining or rationalization? Why is that? So we will be able to, the second thing, shine out. So we will be able to shine out. And we see that in the next verse, verse 15. It says this. So that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Okay, when he says that we as believers appear as lights in the world, that's we shine like lights in the world. Appear as lights, appear as illuminaries is kind of what it says. We shine out is what he's talking about. Let the light and the joy of our life in Christ shine out brightly in a dark world. It's actually the same thing, Paul's saying here, the same thing that Jesus told us. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in the, in the most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, he says the exact same thing. And Matthew, an eyewitness, records it in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 14. He says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And so 
This is Jesus' teaching. Jesus, by the way, is the light of the world. That's what John tells us. Jesus is the light of the world. But he's telling us we are also the light of the world as we follow him. And we're the light. We shine out in a hundred different ways. As a matter of fact, just last week, a lot of you shined out. I introduced something called Dollar Club and, uh, and that was just, you know, where I challenged everybody to at least give like $1 and see what we could do together to see if we could help this local ministry kind of get over a hump. And, uh, and I just want uh, you to see the results of that. Uh, here's our own Tony Brubaker, who's the executive director of Heartbeat. Hi. I'm Tony Brubaker, Executive Director of Heartbeat Hope Medical, and I just wanted to give a huge shout out to Grace Community Church. Last week, Pastor Kevin challenged y'all to give towards our Walk for Life. And guess what? You raised over $5,000. We are so incredibly thankful because we are seeing that as we've remained open through all of this, People are hurting, people have needs, and they need the hope of Jesus. Last week, we held a drive-through pickup where over 30 families came and picked up over 140 items that they needed. As the world has grown a little darker, we've been able to shine a little brighter. And so, again, thank you so much. We appreciate your partnership, and I'm proud to be a part of Grace Community Church. Jesus says, a hidden light is useless. That's what he's saying. We don't light a lamp and put a a basket over it. We put it on the lampstand so everyone can see. And so if your light is hidden, you know, maybe that's because it's hidden out of fear. You don't really want to talk about Christ or, or be too bold. Or maybe it's you don't want to make a relationship awkward. Or maybe it's just apathy. You, you don't really care or... Whatever that reason, if you're not shining out because, because something is keeping you from doing it, hey, Jesus is telling us that's not worth anything. That's not helping anything. You're not doing anything worth, you know, you're not fulfilling the purpose that he intended for us. That's what he's telling us. We need to shine out, even if it makes relationships a little awkward. We need to shine out like Jesus wants us to shine out. I, I, we can see that. I, I know if you've ever been in a cave or a cavern, when you get away from the mouth of that cavern, it, it gets really, really dark. I, I've, been in, I've been in large caverns where I could put my hand right in front of my face and not see it, even after I've been there 30 minutes. Just can't even see. It's just that dark. And then, but just one lighter. And it lights up the whole place. It makes a huge difference. Amazing what one little light can do. And it's the same with the stars. I mean, I love gazing at the stars. And my favorite place to do that, of course, is out in Colorado, up in the mountains. And there's no ambient light anywhere because you're up there, you're away from cities. And you'll be laying out on a cloudless night and there's this canopy of stars. I mean, they're not just above you. They're beside you. They're all over. You feel like you're right in the middle of them. They are just lit up. And I remember watching uh, shooting stars with my daughter, Carissa. We had lay out in our yard, lay on our backs, and 
you know, just at night watching the, the shooting stars. I mean, hey, the darker the world around us, the more we shine out as lights. So, so what's Paul telling us? Work out your salvation. How? Live out, shine out, and then the last thing I want to talk about is hold out. Live out, shine out, hold out. And that's in the next verse, verse 16. It says, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Now, holding fast can be taken two ways. Uh, holding fast can mean, hey, we're hanging on to it. We're holding on tightly. Or it can mean we're holding out. So either we're holding on or we're holding out. And primarily I think he's saying holding on, but it also impacts holding out. And what are we holding out? The word of life. The word of life is a phrase that Paul uses several times. And a lot of times what he means by that is the gospel or what we would call the good news. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's the most important message in the world. That we hold on to this good news, the gospel, not just to become a believer, but to live every day of our Christian life. We are holding on to the gospel. Not to keep us saved or anything, to help us realize what God's done for us and who we are and what we can accomplish. So we hold on, and then in, in our ability to hold on, then we are best able to hold out. And that's actually what Paul then talks about in his ministry. He's talking about how both of these aspects are important. We have to shine out. People have to see that we're different. Then we hold out, we live out, we shine out, and we hold out God's word, God's truth. And he kind of talks about a little bit. He's talking about how because of the change in them, he knows his ministry wasn't in vain as he's held out the gospel to them, which is the same gospel we preach today. Let's pick it up again, back to verse 16. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. What's he talking about here? He's saying, I held out the gospel to you. You grasp it. Now you're living out and you're shining out. And he's saying, and now because of that, I know that my ministry wasn't in vain. He's like, and now if I'm being poured out like a, a, a drink offering and, and that was in the sacrifice, uh, they would pour, uh, there was an animal being sacrificed. Jesus ended all that, but um, they would pour out wine or sometimes honey is the most expensive thing they had on top of that sacrifice and that would create steam that would raise up an aroma you know, that was acceptable to God. And we know when Jesus poured out his blood on the cross that he accomplished that same thing once and for all. He's, Paul's talking about his ministry. And just like Paul, you and I should be thankful that God has given us a purpose greater than ourselves to live for. We have a cause. We have meaning. We have a purpose in life that's beyond just our personal interests. We can live for something greater as we share God's message of love with other people, the gospel. It's really interesting as you share this because 
Uh, people don't like to think of God as, as being a judge. Nobody, in, or in our culture today, nobody wants, nobody wants to be judged. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But as soon as we're wronged, we cry out for justice. This isn't right. They should not have been allowed to do that to me. But in order for there to be justice, you have to have a judge. And justice is good. And here's the simple truth. We will all be judged. If you're watching this and you're not a believer, here's what I'm telling you. You will be judged. Judgment is coming whether you like it or not. And all of us deserve condemnation from God. We deserve punishment for our sin. Separation from God forever in a place called hell. That's what we all deserve. But God made a way through his son who died on the cross to pay for our penalty. He was separated from God to pay for our penalty. Eternal God separated from God for moments, for hours, so that we couldn't be as finite people separated from God forever. And he did that on the cross 2,000 years ago. But in order to receive that forgiveness that's available in the cross, we have to respond to him in faith. And one of the best ways of knowing whether you've really responded to God in faith is to look at your life and see if you've demonstrated a change in your life. And what Paul's talking about today is, you know, do you live out, shine out, hold out? Because that's what God's calling us to do. And, and, and the question for you is, how will you do that this week? How will you do that today? What changes will you make so you can better live out, shine out, hold out, hold on to and hold out the message of God's love. And if you're able to do it, we'll know it's all grace. It's actually God working through us. And we're so thankful that God has given us meaning and purpose beyond ourselves that we, as finite human beings, we can impact eternity by sharing the message of the cross. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you uh, for your truth, your word, Lord, which is really uh, amazing. We, we should react to you with fear and trembling, just this awesome respect and just overwhelming knowledge of who you are, your righteousness, your holiness, and that you would know us and love us and at great cost to yourself make a way for us through the cross. God, we thank you for that greatest gift. And God, we pray that any who are listening right now at their homes, wherever they're at, Lord, that if they don't know you, if they're not believers, Lord, that your spirit would tug on their heart, that you would draw them to yourself, that you'd help them to admit their sin like, like we all have sinned against you and put their trust in you alone, asking you to come into their life so they can follow you, serve you, live for you. 
And Father, for us who are believers, that we wouldn't settle for the status quo, but we'd use this time to change our lives so we could live out, shine out, hold out for you, for your purposes, for your kingdom. And God, thank you for the cross in Christ's name. Amen.